Morning, everyone. Uh, for those who are watching, I wanted to give you a little taste of what I've been doing over the past two weeks uh, before I get into the topic today for the podcast. So this is the house that um, I own in upstate New York and got it five years ago. Uh, and now um, I haven't lived in it for four years. So there's a lot of repairs and restoration things that need to be done. So in addition to to all the other stuff, the, the documentary filmmaking and the podcast, this is what I've been working on. This is my second full-time job. So I feel like I have two and a half full-time jobs. But here's, uh, here, here's the floor, right? So we put in a new subfloor. We, we leveled it as much as we could. And um, that's leveling compound you see there. And uh, today I get to put on some vinyl, finally. Uh, this took about a week just to rip out all the various subfloors and floors that have been laid down since uh, this was built, uh, or at least the addition was put on. I think it was built in 1920. I'm not sure when the addition came on. Uh, here, here's the, the, the pile of debris from <laughs> uh, much of that. Some of it's already been hauled away. So anyway, that's, that's what I've been working on uh, during the day. And then sometimes in the morning or at night, I try to do the podcast stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to move in and at the end of the month uh, with everything that needs to be done. Uh, that is essential having been done. And then, um, and then, uh, that's when actually the book comes out. I, I don't have a, a, a release date yet. Um, but I, I was told that it, it should be pretty soon, like within the next month. So, um, whenever I have that, I'll get that to you. And, uh, I know by October, <laughs> the middle of October, I need to have some print copies myself. So, uh, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions in Conflict is coming out. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to help you a lot and at least understand what we're going through. And that's the point of this video, by the way, is to help understand, but then also hopefully to provide some just practical um, advice. And and if anything, it's food for thought for, for those who are interested in the topic. So the topic is why have my sons, daughters, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, why have they gone woke? Why, why are they social justice activists when they weren't before? You know, you look back to the elementary school years, the high school years, they weren't woke. And then all of a sudden they go to college and they come back after two semesters and the place they came from and their family and uh, their country, you know, it's all bad and um, everything needs to change. So, so why is that? And what can be done about it? Uh, that's a question a lot of parents have. They have older children and younger children. How can we avoid what essentially happened with the older children. So I want to say before I get into this, and, and, and two things. One is I, I don't, I, I can't give you like a full account for all of this or advice that's going to basically apply to every situation. Uh, I can just tell you the trends that I see and some of the things that seem to have prevented it in my own life and in the lives of others. And, and I, I definitely do see a difference between the people who, who I know who kind of went woke and the people who didn't. And I've been watching this for years, and um, and there's there, there's a progression that's very concerning. I mean, it, especially for like people from good conservative Christian households, they tend to um, adopt what they think is a more authentic version of Christianity, unlike their parents' version, right? Uh, that's you know their parents and their grandparents and their great grandparents. They were all involved in a horrible colonialist or racist or whatever version, oppressive version of Christianity, and they're going to be different. And some of them stay there for a little while, but often that's just an off-ramp. And I've seen this over and over. It's an off-ramp for just rejecting Christianity. Or pretty soon they have a version of Christianity that doesn't resemble anything orthodox. That actually happens pretty quick usually. 
Um, so, so this is concerning from a theological perspective. It's also concerning just from a relational perspective. We have coworkers and classmates and friends and um, family members and people we care about, and now we're kind of divided from them. And I think some of this is inevitable in some ways. Uh, you're, you know, the best thing you can do probably in that situation, if you have very deeply uh, different, differing opinions on something, is to affirm the relationship if you want to keep it as much as you possibly can while disagreeing. So, um, I, so, so parents feel like they've lost their kid to a cult sometimes, and understandably so. That's why I make the case in social uh, Christianity and social justice, religions and conflict. I make the case that social justice is a religion. And I have a chapter on that, and then I have a chapter on epistemology, metaphysics, uh, ethics, all of that, showing that social justice is a completely foreign religion. And, and that, that's part of the reason I make that point, is just to show that you're not dealing with strictly a political movement. You're not dealing with um, something that's just in the, uh, the vein of what a hobby would be or some kind of an, an interest that's secondary. This is a very primary identity-forming thing. And, um, and that's why... It, it, it roots itself so deeply. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a brief overview uh, of one of the main things, maybe I'll get into two of them, but one of the main things that I think contributes to this, uh, and, um, and, and this isn't exhaustive, so just know that there's exceptions to this, and I want parents to know as well, as uh, the other thing I want to say, that um, I don't want you to take an unnecessary burden of guilt from this video. Um, I, I want to provide practical help, but... I don't want people to think that um, I'm saying that their kid is exactly what I'm about to describe. It may be. It may be that your kid is like this, and it may be as a result of maybe there was some bad parenting. I don't know, but it, it doesn't mean it's all bad parenting. Uh, and so I just want everyone to, to know that up front. But there are some things I think parents can do to try to prevent this, and I think to do a good job in preventing it. So I'm going to read for you a post. I posted this today, and then maybe I'll expand on it maybe as I go. Um, and this is on all my social media accounts, but I realize not everyone reads that. So I said this, a frequently asked question is, how did my son or daughter go woke? It's understandable to ask this because much like a religious conversion, someone who's contracted the disease is generally impervious to rational discussion. They become obsessed with exterminating social ills to the point it becomes part of their identity. Anyone who challenged their chosen identity is then questioning their reason for existence in their own minds. This is why I wrote a chapter on the social justice religion in my forthcoming book, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict. Of course, all people are different, but there is a general pattern among those from otherwise conservative households who go woke. Usually, they weren't entirely grounded in an identity of their own, whether it be familial, regional, or religious. What generally happens is they learn about something they previously did not consider, such as the horrible stories of deprivation and mistreatment during slavery or something similar. Sometimes the stories are true, but usually they're embellished and necessary and necessary interpretive material is purposely left out or distorted. Richard Delgado talks about the centrality and importance of narrative for critical race theory, and this is why. The emotionally charged stories invoke anger towards certain social classes, i.e. white people, arouse suspicions of being deceived for having not heard them before, and propel the hearer toward activism against people today who they believe are somehow connected to these sins of the past, usually in their own family first. The stories become a kind of sacred literature that can never be questioned, contextualized, or minimized. 
Interestingly, the progressive era was filled with stories of deprivation incurred by primarily white people. Stories such as the true accounts of what took place during Sherman's march, or the authorities uh, committed against, atrocities I should say, committed against white settlers on the frontier, clothed certain classes in the garments of martyrdom, and made them the objects of pity. This did not spark an ideological desire to rip down present systems such as, um, as much, but it did help inspire a kind of romantic zeal and pride in one's white race and against others. Activists of that time literally called for social justice through things like eugenics. In Germany, of course, with media and government help, something much more aggressive and similar to today's social justice activism emerged. Germans were to awaken to the privilege of Jews who bore the brunt of many social ills, from the degradation of the family through pornography industry to the national embarrassment of World War I by helping Germany lose by supposedly dodging military service to allegedly rigging the stock market, etc. Germans became the grand victims and Jews the grand villains in this narrative. And it all took, and all it took were some emotional stories repeated over and over. Those not properly grounded in their local communities, religion and families bought the ideological nationalism. It became an all-encompassing identity that substituted for these other natural identities by hijacking them or making them obsolete. Of course, it did not help that the dead churches in Germany primarily went along with this, just as the dead churches of the United States are going along with today's social justice movement. All this is to say that properly grounding your child on who they are and where they're from is essential in keeping them from going in this same direction. Prepare them for stories they may hear, whether true or not, with a good anthropology. Teach them that it's man's heart that's evil and not the hearts of certain classes over others. Let them know the stories they are to pass down to their children and cherish. Those will become a guide to them. Because once they undergo a woke religious conversion, it is very difficult to make them stop a step outside of the cult they've joined to consider things from a more objective perspective. So that's what I wrote uh, on social media. And uh, I want to go into a little more detail on some of this um, for my own self. Uh, and I'm, so I'm speaking for myself and my family, and uh, I think many I know. One of the reasons we didn't go that way is because I think we were very grounded in a family identity. And that's something that you can confer to your children. Um, I think even if they are not Christians, and, and no child is born a Christian, but even if they're not that, uh, this is something that you can teach them, that our house obeys the laws of Jesus. We, we love Jesus in this house, and we try to honor him with what we do, and that reflects itself in our, the rules of our family. Um, our family also has a history. We, we want you to hear the stories from your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your great-grandparents if they're still alive. We want you to know about the people that even preceded them. My, my family, um, especially... The Harris side had a lot of genealogical research. I think um, that helped. I went to a lot of family reunions. Um, I was very grounded, I think, in who I was uh, as a Harris. And I think that really, really helped in some ways. Um, I think um, in addition to that, uh, I obviously did become a Christian. And I did um, adopt at a young age the doctrines of Christianity. I knew that uh, it was man's heart that was evil. I knew that man needed salvation. I knew it wasn't particular to one uh, class or social location or, you know, there were certain advantages and disadvantages in uh, whether evil or good be because of some someone's um, race or ethnicity. I knew that the problem was with man himself. 
And so I think that also um, helped a great deal. And, and obviously I found um, a source of identity in Christianity itself, a primary source of identity uh, and in being in Christ. And so true conversion obviously uh, has a great effect. But then in addition to all that, I also, um, and, and this I think somewhat uh, can, is connected with family identity, but I certainly had my own regional identities. Uh, I say identities because I was born in California, raised in upstate New York, had a lot of family in Mississippi. So, uh, you know, I had, I felt like I had a home in, in three different places at the very least. Um, and, and to some, a lesser extent in some ways, I only went to a family reunion there once, but I definitely had on my mom's side, um, Ohio. Uh, I had a lot of family from there. So um, I really felt like um, I loved this country. I studied history. I loved history. I loved especially military service as, as you know, a lot of young boys do. And uh, I, I think I, I liked to see the differences in regions in, in the country that I lived in, but I also liked the country. And um, I, I just developed a love. When we would go on vacations, we were stopping at, now I don't know if I would recommend this as much today, but a lot of historical sites. At the time, they weren't woke. And so this, you know, I, I heard a lot of narratives about the people who inhabited the place I live. And, uh, and so I was very uh, proud in a good kind of way uh, to be an American and not just an American, but um, I liked the, the region that my grandfather came from. I liked the region that I grew up in. I liked the region I came from. So um, anyway, th those three things, uh, a tie to the land, uh, the people, um, and then uh, a tie to my family, and then a tie to... Uh, and this is the most important one, because uh, if you don't have the other two, this one's sufficient in my opinion, but a, a, a firm identity in, um, in Jesus Christ, I think that's the, those are the things that honestly kept me from going in that direction. And the reason I say kept me is because that's what's fashionable. Uh, there, there are a lot of people, probably more than we realize, who are not woke out of conviction, but just because it's the fashionable thing and they want to be liked. And if it was popular to run around with white hoods and, uh, you know, be part of the clan or something, they'd probably do that too, as, as bad as that is to say. But they're, they're opportunists and they, you know, they're not doing it for reasons of conviction. Um, they're doing it for, you know, fashionable reasons and to be liked and not to stand out and that kind of thing. So um, we all have that tug in our hearts, at least, to not want to stand out, to be, to conform, uh, to, um, we, we, we all want to be liked by people, right? So, so there's that. But then I think when people go truly woke, I mean, the ones that are actually, this is part of their identity, it's convictional for them, uh, they, they may have some of that, and that may have even been the thing that kind of jump-started it, but they've adopted it at a deeper level. They've swallowed the pill, it's gone down all the way. And for them, they've rejected a lot of these natural identities that I just talked about and substituted for them uh, an artificial identity. They, they don't feel like they can love their own people or culture without, or, or the, I should say they, they can't love another people or another culture without denigrating their own. And I think it's just the opposite. It's actually in loving the things that are familiar to me that I, I've gained an appreciation and a love for the things that aren't as familiar. Um, it, it starts at home. Love starts at home. And love starts in the household of faith. That's the one another's, man. It's, it's the other believers. It, it starts with loving your neighbor, people that you, you know in your daily life, the things that are familiar to you before you extend it out. So that, that's what I think. I, I, and I go over this in the book. But um, 
I think a lot of uh, social justice activists, um, they heard these stories. They, they thought, man, I haven't heard about that. Uh, or, you know, this is just shocking how horrible this story is about a, a race riot of the past or something. Why haven't I heard about it? And they start to be suspicious of their family, of their teachers, of everything, the world they live in. It, it creates this, this, um, um, this, this suspicion and then a resentment sets in. And then they, they ditch those identities. And a lot of the time, it's people who are already struggling with identity to begin with. They don't know where they fit in. I've seen this often with fundamentalist Christians, by the way. Um, they, the, the most aggressive social justice activists come from very strict fundamentalist homes, in my, from what I've seen. And I think the reason for that, in my first book, Social Justice Goes to Church, I actually explain this. Um, I think it's because all they had to do was swap out some rules if you had a legalistic version of Christianity, and I'm not saying all fundamentalists or especially theological fundamentalists have that, but there, there is there's an undercurrent of that for sure in many uh, places that would consider themselves fundamentalists uh, when it's wrong to go to the theater or to drink or to play cards or, you know, you fill in the blank with whatever rule that's not quite biblical, but it's, you know, it's, it's a cultural thing that was formed later on to, you know, all of that. I think... Um, all they do is they swap, swap out those rules. So instead of theater drinking cards, it's equity, inclusion, diversity. And that becomes the new law. And they are just as um, hard on themselves and hard on others and judgmental and con- condemning and all of that. They, they never lose that, uh, but they just switch out the law that they're following. And in so doing that, um, they, what they're doing is they're rejecting the way that they were brought up. Sometimes I think they feel like their, their parents or their family was so different and they're, they're tired of standing out. I think sometimes, um, like I said, they feel like they've been lied to. They've, you know, why haven't I known about the deprivations of minorities of the past? Or, or they just uh, accept the narratives they learn at school about how evil their parents are for voting for Trump or something like that. But there, there's a sense in which they, um, they, they have to ditch the identities that they were raised with or the identities their parents have and they have to somehow go out on their own and form their own from scratch. That's a lot of stress. It's a lot of angst with that, a lot of insecurity with that. And you find security by being in a big group. You find security by saying, oh, look at all these other people who they're just like me. And it's sad because most of the people that I know um, who would go down this path, they're not well. They're very insecure. They'll find identity in you know, their career or their, their friend group, or more likely their, their, their activism, which is usually related to those other two things. And that becomes who they are. I'm, you know, I'm a superhero. I'm a social justice warrior. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to, you know, rip this down and and put this up and I'm going to be a revolutionary. So that's becomes their substitute for their, their friend group becomes a substitute for their family, their activist friend group. And then their, uh, their career becomes, you know, much more to them. Their religion uh, is, it's almost like, in fact, I remember one, one girl I know who came from a very strict fundamentalist background. This is years ago. She posted online. I think this is even before George Floyd, if I'm not mistaken, that um, she, she said that going to this activist thing, I think it was a me too thing was that was her church. And she still, I think, I don't know if she still claims to be a Christian, but at the time, She's like, she was claiming to be a Christian, but no churches were good enough. She couldn't go to any church. They're all bad. But her church was going to this activist rally. So, you know, what is that? What, what do you call that? Well, it's, it's a religion. And it's a, more than that, it's a new identity. 
she's formed in her in herself and um and and i hate to see the place some of these people go out of just compassion i i, I would try to steer them away from that and say don't go down this road don't go down the road of hating everything that's familiar to you um instead uh em embrace those things um form uh, try to form those natural identities as much as you possibly can and for christians this isn't shouldn't be the hardest thing in the world we have we have a book we have uh, uh we have jesus christ we we already have an identity in him and no matter what kinds of bad story you know things stories you hear narratives you hear you know that your your theology is going to overcome all those things to get you to think about okay i can't vilify one region or one social location or one people group i know the problem is in the heart of man and and you're gonna you're gonna understand uh, it does not that there's not bad people who exist out there there are bad groups of people who do bad things it, it, but the deeper question and this is where social justice activists get it wrong is that original sin is not more or less depending on social location and someone doesn't have more access to truth because they're from a certain solo, social location experience doesn't necessarily mean uh, in living in a certain region that you know they they're just uh, they, they're the only ones allowed to talk about uh, the stories of that region or that area or that situation. Um, so, you know, there, there's kind of um, within the narratives that people hear, these really sacred writings, these narratives that you're not allowed to question that are the gateways to people becoming woke, in, in my experience. Uh, there's, there's kind of implied behind that is this idea that experience is what determines truth. And so there's sort of a, a postmodern undercurrent to this whole thing. So uh, to wrap it all up, because I'm rambling at this point, um, I think this is what parents can do to help their kids. This is this is uh, everything that, that I want to say in one kernel. Teach them who they are by way of being part of a family. Teach them the unique things about the family. Teach them uh, about Christianity, not just um, as something that's external to the family, but something that the family itself lives by. The rules that Jesus laid down, the, um, that Jesus laid down, right? Not, you know, make, make it clear to them when, you, when you're adding extra family rules, the, this is, you know, explain to them the reasons. These, these aren't Jesus's rules necessarily, but we, we do this because A, B, or C. We do this because we want to honor uh, the Lord. And um, in, in, our, in our family, we, we don't jump around the house. You know, it starts young, really. We eat our broccoli and we don't jump around. Uh, because we care about people and we don't want to disturb them. We want to, I mean, this is one of the things I remember from my early childhood was, uh, I remember ripping leaves off a tree and my dad being like, well, you know, really scaring me a little. Why would you do that? And I'm like, well, the, I don't know. <laughs> you know, people are precious. We in, the, we in the Harris family believe people are precious, so you don't, we don't do those things. And that whole idea of we, we, the collective, we don't do that in our family, I think, was really helpful. So that's what I'm trying to get at is the unique things about your family um, from moral you know, direction all the way to the kinds of foods you like or the kinds of hobbies you do. Uh, you know, make sure there's, there's a good family identity there. Um, that, and that does take time. It does take some sacrifice. Sometimes it takes some money, but um, those are important things. It's not just about pursuing individual pleasure, right? It's about having experiences that you can all talk about later in life and things that bind you together. Okay, so um, so that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, uh, obviously evangelize your children, uh, teach them about the Lord, teach them about Christian theology. Start young, don't shirk that. Family devotions are important, I think. 
along this line. And then the third thing is uh, civic obligation. Uh, go to um, local memorial services. I remember as a kid, Memorial Day, we, we went to a park down the street and sometimes my dad would even give the invocation. And there was a war memorial and uh, lots of people would come out. I remember even mothers whose sons died in World War II. I mean, that's how long they lived and this is in the 90s, but you know, hundreds of people would be out and the, the, that crowd shrunk every single year. Uh, now I don't know what it is. I guess I'll find out next year. But uh, the last time I went, um, which was probably five or six years ago, it was barely anyone. And something's happening. I don't know what it is, but I think um, I have an idea. But I think it's still important. Take your kids out to, to those kinds of things. Give them a sense of place. And that gives them a sense of purpose. When they have a sense of place, of rootedness, um, of responsibility for their fellow man, their neighbor, their community, uh, when they understand Christian theology, um, when they understand what evil is, they're not going to be shocked when they hear those stories that are meant to pull their heartstrings and to get them to adopt in a narrative. That's the jump that they make from the the horrible story to here's the narrative that we must use to fix it. They're not going to go for it. They already know before they get to college what what the pro- the problems with the world, what they're caused by, and what the solutions are. And they're not going to sacrifice their, their families, their regions, their religion to uh, somehow fight the, what's being called social justice. So um, that's just hopefully some helpful advice. Uh, there's probably a lot more that could be said, but um, I didn't want to go too long, and it's already been a little over 25 minutes, and I got to go lay down a floor. So uh, any questions that you have, put them in uh, the comments section, and maybe I'll try to do some episodes and follow up, and, uh, and we'll talk more about it. But uh, the other thing I can say is also, when it comes out in a few weeks, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions in Conflict, you're going to want to get it, because I go into a lot more detail about some of the things that I just talked about and um, things that might be confusing now. I think, I, I hope, I did a good job explaining them. So God bless. Again, hope that was helpful. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.